I was a freshman, freshman in Iowa in my freshman dorm. Because Gary Kermeyer was the head coach, he told us about, he wrote us a letter about a week, or a note about a couple of weeks before I went, reported to school, says, hey, your new new assistant coach is Dan Gable, so watch him on TV. So we we didn't know, you know, we, I'm going, holy smokes, you know, we didn't know he was going to be the assistant coach at that time. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Friday, December 9th. This episode is brought to you by Beat the Streets Chicago. They're our favorite nonprofit, and they just released a short documentary film on the Beat the Streets National Duels, an event they hosted last June where they brought Beat the Streets organizations from across the country to Chicago to host a dual meet tournament and an immersion experience for these kids. So go to btschicago.org to watch the film. Today's episode is with Tim Saseski, the longtime head coach at Northwestern. He's now the director of the Midlands Tournament. Tim wrestled at Iowa, coached two NCAA champions at Northwestern, and is now leading the Great Midlands Tournament, which was one of my favorite tournaments growing up. You know, going up there as a kid to watch the Midlands in Chicago was special, so it was great to have Tim on. Fan of the Week goes to our friend Phil Kaiser, who recently purchased a Wrestling Changed My Life t-shirt, I believe it was. Let's take a look here. It was a t-shirt and a sticker. Phil, thank you so much. Representing Winterport, Maine? Emmy is Maine, I believe. It is Maine. Okay. Thank you very much, Phil. We appreciate it. Last but not least, folks, this episode is also brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to college wrestling. They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match, input that data into their cloud analytics platform, And on their app, which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores, you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers. You can compare different wrestlers. So go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google Play stores. Quant Wrestling, download the app now. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Tim Saseski. Tim Saseski, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. I got to say, some of my earliest memories growing up wrestling in Illinois were watching the Midlands or going to the Midlands. My uh, The first memory I have, my dad recorded it one year and I watched it. it. I think it was like 98, 99. 
And then for Christmas every year, my mom would get us tickets to go to the Midlands. And uh, I'll just never forget the great memories coming up and watching the tournament in the 2000s. So it's an honor to have yeah. you on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a it's a great tournament. I grew up with it also. Yeah, let's start at the beginning for you. Uh, how'd you get involved with the sport? Well, it was uh, I was my first real organized sport was gymnastics. So I was involved in, in gymnastics for a couple of years, seventh and eighth grade. And all of a sudden, a friend of mine said, "Hey, let's do this this wrestling stuff. It's on. It's only on weekends. Park District is offering it, and it's on Saturday. So we would have one practice on Saturday. We said, hey, what the heck? Why not? So myself, my brother, my twin brother, and my your younger brother, Danny." Um, and, and, and this guy named Billy Davids, um, we got in his car or they, they took, took us over to the high school and we just started, uh, the, the park district that, you know, um, um, uh, Walt Sherman was a coach and, um, there was probably about 15 of us and we just started getting, you know, he started teaching us the basics and I'm saying, Hey, I kind of like this. And then they had the state series. So, you know, I got down state. And I said, no, oh, yeah, it's kind of fun, you know, and, and um, I, I remember I, I wrestled, I, I tied for fourth place and I lost a flip for four, for third, which kind of bothered me because I wanted to win that thing straight up, you know, or at least win the last match. So I said, Hey, I like this though. I, I, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to continue this in high school. And, um, and I did, I went to Glenbrook South high school. My, my twin brother stayed with gymnastics. They were different seasons. So, uh, or the same season. So I stay with wrestling. Um, and that was one way we can get our, split ourselves up identity wise, you know, cause we're a exact, uh, uh, identical twins. So even to this day, if you saw us, you'd probably would say, wait, well, who, who's who here, you know? Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I say, I say wrestling, he stayed with gymnastics and, um, you know, I just loved it. Loved the contact, loved the, you know, dictating my you, you know hey i'm gonna win because of me not for because of somebody else you know and same thing if i lose it's my fault it's not somebody else's fault so, so i really you, enjoyed it when you were coming up at glenbrook glenbrook south at the time who were some of the top teams in illinois at the high school level well back then back then it was only one you know we everybody was in one class it wasn't the three classes they have now so it was one class everybody you know in small schools big schools we all competed against each other's uh, Waukegan was good. East Leiden was good. Um, oh, who else was pretty good all the time? A, a couple schools in the Southern Ed, DeKalb uh, was good. So, I mean, those schools, you know, North Chicago was awesome. They were unbelievable, you know, and, and we competed against a lot of those same schools. Evanston was very good. Yeah. So, the one division's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, you know, winner take all and, um, you know, proviso for proviso East, they're all were very good. Um, so it was, it was great. You, you know, you knew if you won the state championship, you were the guy, you didn't have to share it with anybody. That's the only thing bad about things. Now you have multiple state champs and I understand the reasoning behind it, but still you can say, Hey, I'm the guy, you know, California, I think is one of the last states that have only one ch state champ per weight class. And that's pretty, and they're a pretty big state, you know, and, you're going to get a pretty good quality kid out of there, no matter what, you know, if they place in the top five or six, you got a pretty good kid, but Illinois is one of the better States to recruit out of anyways right now. Yeah. Yeah. Indiana, I think is still one of the, has one class, maybe Jersey. Um, yeah. Yeah. You might, yeah, you might, correct. Many, Indiana still may have it. No, there's, there's less than a handful. I mean, there's, they're getting fewer and fewer. 
So when you took fourth as a junior, was that something that motivated you going into the next year? Or were you just happy oh, yeah. to place at that point? No, no. I, I, I felt I should have done better, you know? Um, uh, so I definitely wrestled a lot of international stuff. I did a lot of freestyle because I told myself when I got into wrestling, I said, what's the ultimate? You know, besides being a state champ, national champ, conference champ, Olympics. Hey, man, that's what you want. You know, shooting for the Olympics, win a gold medal. So that's what was always in the back of my mind. I said, I'm going to I want to be on an Olympic team, or at least I want to be in that situation where I can be on world teams and ultimately be, you know, on, on, you know, be part of the, you know, representing your country at the weight class. So you're the best guy at that weight class in the United States at that representing the, you know, United States. And, and so that's, that kind of drove me to, to make sure I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this all the way, you know? So I learned, I, you know, my first freestyle tournament, I was probably a freshman in high school, a friend of mine did a little freestyle and he said, yeah, let's go to this freestyle tournament. I had no idea what it was, had no idea. And I found out real quick, you know, uh, I was two and out pretty quick, but I watched and kind of figured out, oh, I figured this thing out. And I loved it. I mean, freestyle was a lot of fun and um, got to be pretty good at it and made a couple of world teams and Pan Am teams and, you know, missed out on the Olympics in 80. But that's that's another story. Yeah, I was looking at the world teams when you were there. I noticed you made it in 78 and I was like, all right, you're at 136 and a half. So I was looking at who made it the years before and the years after. The years before, it looked like Jim Humphrey was the guy. But the years after that weight class changed, changed hands pretty rapidly until John Smith got there. Yeah, John was John was there, but uh, uh, myself was there quite a bit. Um, uh, Humphreys and I went back and forth. I mean, he was one year he 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 beat me out. I was behind him. Um, he was a, a silver medalist in the world championships that year um, in Switzerland. So, and they brought me along so I can get some experience and just get used to everything. And it was a great experience. But yeah, Jim and I are go go way back. We used to go back and forth. And the following year, when I made the world team, he was at 149. He went up a weight class. Wow. Um, and um, so, you know, that, that gave me an opportunity to wrestle uh, internationally at the world championships. And it was like Andrea Metzger was in there as well. It sounds like yeah. maybe Randy yeah. Lewis, uh, like Randy some Lewis legends. Is, yes. Yeah. All three of us were pretty much in the, and that was our, our round robin. It seemed like in, in almost every tournament um, in '79 and '70 and, and and '80 for the most part. And then uh, Metzger, I think Metzger, I think he went up. He might have went up to '49, or they did some Greco too. But Randy and I would go back and forth quite a bit. And in '80, everyone knows what happened. You know, we didn't go to the Olympics. How early in that year did you guys know that it wasn't happening? We didn't know till the final trials. We were literally uh, in, uh, at Binghamton College. The final trials were there. We had, and they were going through the final trials. There was no indication at that point that we were going to boycott at all. Um, so we were going through the process of, of, you know, elimination. So we had the elimination. We come down to the finals, like for, and we had the, you know, the basically the. T- first and second guys or two guys were going to uh, wrestle off for the, the spot. And uh, so Randy and I were one of, were one of those guys, um, Ben Peterson and Chris Campbell, I believe in there. And John was in there and it was a great group of, of teams um, and top 20 guys. Um, we didn't know till probably the day of weigh-ins that we weren't going to go no matter what happened. Mm. Um, and, and Gable brought us all off to the side and say, listen, whatever happens, 
you know, we're going to wrestle this thing off and pick the team um, or, and have the team so we know what the team is just in case they change their minds. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a downer bummer because you figured that ah, they're not going to change their mind. They, they pretty much publicly said we're not going. So, but okay, we'll play the game with it and, and wrestle it off. And Randy and I had, we went best of three and went, went, went for all three matches. And um, uh, I made a mistake in the third match and he beat me and, and that, you know, rest is history. But uh, it was a good rivalry. We had a lot of fun. You know, it was a bummer we didn't get to go Olympics, but you couldn't, you couldn't see that coming down the road you know when you when you set your goal to make an olympic team when you're when you're 12 you know just started wrestling you don't see a boycott coming you know uh fortunately i was able to make a lot of u.s teams toured a lot you know russia just a year before um wrestling over there so had a lot of experience um traveling that way and that's what you know i'm thankful for that what was your first impression of the soviet union when you went over to blissey Oh boy. I heard all about Tbilisi. Gable used to talk, we, I talk, picked to the brain when I said, what do I expect? You know, and they said, bring a lot of peanut butter. I said, what? I said, yeah, they don't have their you know, food over there is okay, but you know, you're going to miss the things like peanut butter and comfort food that you normally would have. I said, all right. So I brought some peanut butter over there and some other stuff, but the biggest thing I was surprised at, I mean, at that time, you know, we're in the middle of the cold war, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to the moon and, you know, the rocketry stuff is everybody going back and forth, back and forth. And you figure, oh, you know, they, they, technology, they're pretty much the same as us in a way, you know, you get over there, their standard of living was unbelievable. They were still having, you know, and, and when we wrestled a lot of dual meets, we weren't in like downtown Moscow. We were in the suburbs and downtown, the suburbs, you had the cabs and a few, few cars, but mostly donkey carts and and that kind of stuff where they were still getting around in no in the 70s and yeah Uh, it just surprised me that how backward that that uh, economy was at that time and probably still is to a certain extent i was just surprised i thought it'd be more like us you know because you figure they're sending people you know around the moon around the earth all this you know rocketry stuff and, you know, they're a world power when it comes to, you know, arms race. And you figure out oh, the standard of living is going to be okay. It, it wasn't at all. I mean, they, they treat us great, you know, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't what we're used to, you know, which surprised me in a way. I mean, it really surprised me, you know. Um, we had, you know, they, they were very generous when, guests to the guests and stuff, to us and stuff. But it was just surprising that, it, that how they got around. They got around. With, uh, on trams and, and trains that the cars weren't very very well um, you know they were terrible you know they, they would break down quite a bit if you're lucky a lot of buses they took a lot of buses a lot of mass transit like that but it wasn't what you're used to yeah and like knowing Tbilisi was in Georgia that's kind of a more remote republic yeah you know yeah. Yeah. south of the Caucasus even you know so you're yeah. out there on the skirts a yeah. little bit yeah, yeah, we flew in there from Moscow. It's interesting. Everything flying in and flying out of, you know, of, of Russia at that time was through Moscow. So mm-hmm. that was the main hub, mm-hmm. main hub. Not like the United States, we have main hubs all over the place. But anytime you go into Russia, at least back then, you flew into Moscow and then flew out to different places, to Tbilisi or wherever uh, we had duels. So we would fly into to Moscow, stay overnight, fly to Tbilisi, wrestle for two days there in their tournament, fly back to Moscow, and then we would have some dual meets throughout the country. We would fly out of Moscow 
you know, it was, it was pretty interesting, you know, wow. on that kind of That's stuff. cool. Yeah. And so the Bella Glazovs, were they like Sergey was a weight below you or like who were the Soviet studs at that time at your weight? Oh, he was, he still, I don't think he was, he was still younger. I didn't never wrestle, got to wrestle him. He was still on the uh, come up at that point. Yeah. He was still, yeah. Yeah. Got but it. they were, they were good. They were really good. You know, um, but yeah, the, 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 we would work out. We didn't get to work out with them that much. Nowadays, they, they probably work out a little bit more with, you know, when you come and tour back then, they didn't work out with us at all. You know, all they did is let us use their facilities a little bit, which is always kind of interesting. Um, you know, you figure again, goes back to facilities. You know, we have pretty nice facilities, plumbing and heat and locker rooms and stuff. Um, their facilities, at least the ones we used, they were nice, but they weren't nearly what you expected to have. I mean, they were kind of cold, like a big gym. Uh, the mats were, um, you know, the thicker mats, they're either horsehair mats or Spieth Anderson type mats, thicker ones. Um, and, uh, you know, again, um, something as, as easy as going to the bathroom is totally different than what you're used to. You know, mm-hmm. it's basically, it's, uh, to be frank, it's basically was a hole in the, in the floor and that was mm-hmm. it, you know, that, and it was, it was, again, it was definitely eye opening, um, the times. And I went there twice. I've been, been to Russia with Tbilisi twice. I had to take a year off. I had first year I went was great. Second time. No, I'm not going to go. Then I went again the third time, which is again, it was a good experience. Yeah. Carrie Colette. And this is, you know, I don't even think this is Tbilisi and this is, you know, 20 years after you went, but he was like, when you go to international tournaments, you like, you take things for granted, like even like hot water in the showers, like those oh, dudes yeah. take cold showers. They don't think anything of it. And we oh, are yeah. tiptoeing around it, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're again, the way they do things and comfort zones, it's a totally different ball game. Now it's probably changed a little bit since then. We like to hope so, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not what people think it is over there. Yeah. Well, and before, you know, uh, your international career, 1972, you're a senior in high school, you win the state championships. And later that August, the great Dan Gable in that amazing 72 team puts on a performance that we're still talking about today. Had you watched the Olympics before that, like in the 68 games, or was that 72 in Munich, the first big one for you? That was pretty, pretty much the first big one. I mean, I, you know, I, again, I didn't really know, you know, don't watch wrestling it didn't really have a lot of a televised at mm-hmm. that point you know mm-hmm. in the olympics gable was kind of the first group with peterson brothers and chris taylor so there was a lot of excitement about this team you know and, and especially with dan and uh yeah I, I i was i was i remember watching i was at iowa i was a freshman freshman in iowa in my freshman dorm and we started school in august so i had a, a <laughs> small black and white TV on my desk. So I'm watching him winning, you know, winning his matches in the Olympics and rest of the guys. Um, and it was great to see. And I knew, I knew at that time, cause Gary Kermeyer was the head coach. He told us about, he wrote us a letter about a week or a note about a couple of weeks before I went, reported to school says, Hey, your new, new assistant coach is Dan Gable. So watch him on TV. So we, we didn't know, you know, we, I'm going, Holy smokes. You know, we didn't know, he was going to be the assistant coach at that time. But then when I get a note from Gary saying, Hey, Hey, you know, we just signed Gable. He's going to be your assistant coach. So watch him on the, on the two, you know, hopefully winning gold medal. And we, that was fun. And then, like I said, we watched, I watched it a week later. He's back in practice. You know, he's back there running practice for us. It was awesome. So you had already committed before Gable 
it was even named coach or anything. This is all yeah. news to you after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he knew he was going to Iowa before the Olympics. I didn't know that either. I think, you know, whether he knew he was, was going to be there, it just wasn't, you know, if he did, he didn't say anything to anybody. But, you know, when I got to, when I was in school that freshman year, you know, Kerr, my Rosa, no, now it might have just been, you know, on the QT a little bit across the yeah. board. But I mean, I the first I heard about it is when I got to know from Gary, from Kermar. And then I'm going, oh, shit, this is great. You know, Gabe's going to be one of our coaches. And, you know, then then when he showed up, I'm going, oh, my God, you know, talk about jaw dropping, not just mine, but everybody else, you know. But here I am, a freshman watching this guy. You know, I remember my fresh, my one time, what, what's the year he he lost it? He lost it drawings at, at Northwest at Northwestern McGaw Hall. Yeah. And my dad told me, he says, I like this Owings guy. I said, Dad, you're crazy. He's never going to beat Gable. Gable's unbelievable, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I like his attitude. He dropped two weight classes to come down to, to Russell Gable. I think he's got a shot of beating him. I said, Dad, you're nuts, you know. And we were we had we went to Northwest to watch the finals there. Well, I was there to hold, I watched the whole NCAs, but and just awesome. It was great. And uh, and sure enough, Gable gets beat. I'm going, unbelievable, you know. You were there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It was unbelievable. It was oh fun. Oh my gosh. Was it like yeah. just pandemonium when he lost or? Well, people couldn't believe it. At first people going to say, Hey, he's going to win this still. He'll see, you know, find a way to, you know, cause every game always won. We saw him in Midlands that year and, you know, beat up everybody. And, you know, he got there and I, and just things just weren't hitting, you know, he was trying to make things happen and just things weren't falling his way. And he got beat, you know, and back then, Back then, if you have two minutes of writing time, you got two minutes of a point. You got two points. So every minute of writing time you had above beyond your opponent, you got an extra point. Now it's only one point. But then you could, if you had three minutes, you got three points. Well, Gable had like two minutes of writing time on Owings, and that still wasn't enough for him to, to win the match. Um, and and Dan just wrestled sloppy. He just he just I think he was just got distracted with the interviews he was doing, which is weird because he's done interviews before, and you know, but it just you know, it just was a, a lot of uh, distractions, I think. So you really, truly grew up, though, during Gable Mania, though. I mean, being in yeah, Illinois, the yeah. Midlands were a big part of his career. Yeah. And wow. So that was so that was 70, I think, not 60. And I was wrong there. So 70 was that NCAs at Northwestern, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you when you get to Iowa and you start working with him, what are your first impressions of Coach Gable as a, as a coach? Well, I kind of stood off a little bit. I think I'm, he's 145, 154, 145 pounds, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm only a freshman. I said, I got to work my way into this here a little bit, you know? So I, I would watch him a little bit and talk to him a little bit and just talk to him with a group, never, you know, but once you got to know him he and he got to know you, which was, you know, easy going, I had a lot of fun, taught a lot, never yelled at us, never yelled at us. Um, we gave him a lot of reasons to, but he never yelled at us. He always very, very encouraging. He worked our butts off. That's for sure. And if he told us to do something, guess what? We did it. No question asked, you know, Hey, if it's good for, if he telling you to do something, there's a reason for it, you know, and who's going to argue about from argue with Gable with the Olympic medalist and he still can kick the shit out of you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. You know, and that's just that's across the board. That's from the big guys to the little guys. And, and was J Rob there that first year too? J Rob was. God, 
if he wasn't in refresh, my freshman year, he was there my second year. Um, but he was, a, a, and he came in as like a grad assistant for about a, at first. And then he worked his way onto the staff. Yeah. But we had a pretty good, that was a good staff too. I mean, Jay was there. Um, Kurt Meyer was the head coach for the four years that I was there. How involved was he with practices? Or like, was it Gable running the show? No, you know, they, they, they would run the show. They kind of, I think Gary, Gary at first, you know, um, did a lot. And I think that as things got moving, you know, and Gable felt more comfortable with everybody and how, how things run, he ran a lot of it. He ran a lot of it. Um, but Gary would, you know, always be involved in technique and running the pro, you know, they worked well together. You know, they obviously talked, what they wanted to accomplish that day, you know, um, it was great. It just, it was, things worked very well, at least from my standpoint. And how long until you guys started winning national titles? Well, by freshman year, we went in there. We never won the big 10 championships up to that point, And we never won the NCAAs up to that point. So my freshman year, we won. Um, that was the first year we won. Let me remember now. Um, for my freshman year, I, I, it was at Minnesota. Um, I qualified for nationals. I, I believe we won. The, and we, no, we didn't win the Big Tens that year. My freshman year, we took second again, you know, and we were a top 10 team wise. Um, and then we, uh, my sophomore year, we won the Big Ten championships. And that's when we started, they started that streak of winning the Big Tens for like 20 years straight from then wow. on. I won the Big Tens. And then NCAs, we won, won the NCAs. Um, my, uh, we were fifth my sophomore year. And then my junior and senior year, we won the NCAs. Wow. And then we, and they won, you know, a couple of NCAs even after that. So my, my, my freshman, my sophomores, my junior senior year, we were NCAA champs and big tank champs. And that's the, like yeah. you said, the run of, you know, the craziest thing is that J Rob at Minnesota in 99 was the first team to break that streak after all those yeah. years. It's like, wow. A lot of history yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, things just kept moving, 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 you know, it, it just caught on fire. Um, the fans came like crazy. I mean, I remember Kerr Myers, you know, the, we said, we're going to wrestle Iowa state, you know, my freshman year. That's what it was. Cause Iowa and Iowa state never wrestled. They had wrestled for like 20 years. I don't know why it just didn't happen. So Gary and, and Nick, Nick, uh, uh, Nick got together and they, uh, they got the duels going. And back then we used to wrestle home and away. So we wrestled home and away and they beat the heck out of us both times. I mean, both times. And, uh, and then we finally turned it around my sophomore year. So, and then we did always, we never looked back. We wow. turned it around. Yeah. And think so, about what we just watched last night. Like that's still, uh, yeah, I don't, that though was pretty amazing. And you know, it's still yeah. a lot of history from those early years. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I mean, we went from, you know, normal duels, we wrestled, we had maybe a few hundred people watching it. And we went from that to, you know, at uh, in Iowa, our first dual meet was, you know, over 12,000 people there. It was unbelievable. You know, then we would go Carver-Hawkeye, or not Carver-Hawkeye, we went to the, you know, um, uh, Ames, and it was the same thing. We had, you know, 14,000 people there. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was great, you know. And for you coming from Illinois, you know, not kind of expecting this when you're going to Iowa, it had to be pretty amazing just to kind of be a part of all this and see it transpire in front of your eyes. 
Yeah, it, it's great to be on the ground floor of it in a way. And just you see things develop that way. Like, holy smokes, one guy. Can you tell yourself, you know, one guy makes the difference here. Dan Gable makes the difference. But then you look back and it says it was more than just Dan. It was Gary having the foresight uh, of getting Dan to be part of that program. And it's Roy Carver, who was a big money guy. Um, you know, he and Gary, you know, be, became very good friends. And he was the catalyst to get, to get Dan there. Or a lot of, a lot of reasons to get Dan there and get then J-Rod there. And, and then, you know, the club was a big, big part of that. But that came, Carver kind of initiated a lot, a lot of that stuff with Gary saying, hey, here, here Gary has the big dream. Here's um, uh, Carver, you know, said, hey, okay, well, let's, let's make this thing happen. And they did. Yeah. And then when you graduated, did you know you were going to stay on as the Hawkeye Wrestling Club coach? Well, I wasn't sure what I was going to do because after the Olympic thing, it was a kind of a bummer. You know, I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do. Do I want to keep competing? Do I want to move on? And and they came to me and said, hey, Tim, we'd love to have you run the club. And I said, you know, I'll do it. I'll give you a full year and we'll evaluate after that what we want. I'll Then I'll figure out what I want to do after that. And uh, so, yes, that was that was uh, gave me started kind of give me an experience of 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 running a, a club or a program. Um, and, you know, it, it gave me a lot of thinking, say, hey, maybe I'll keep doing this. Because I wasn't, I didn't see myself as a, I called myself a, a people like a lifer. I couldn't see myself at least going through college saying, okay, I'm going to go college and then go into coaching. You know, I figure I get, in, my degree is in business administration. I figured oh, I'll go into business, do this, and, you know, maybe stay in wrestling as a side thing, just, uh, you know, give to give back and th things just evolved. Like ask them asking me to run the club and being part of the club. Okay. I like that. I saw the value in it. Um, and then I had an opportunity, um, at Northwestern, um, uh, they came and approached me during Midlands, um, and said, Hey, would you be interested in interviewing for the assistant coach here job here? I said, I didn't know you guys had any second coaches at Northwestern said, well, we don't, but we're, they're going to start funding it next, you know, this coming year. Would you be interested? And I said, heck yeah, I, I, let me think about it. You know, and I was, I was just got married just that year. And I talked to my wife, she was working with Cedar Rapids. And I said, Hey, I got an opportunity, you know, maybe to go to Chicago and be assistant coach at Northwestern. What do you think about it? You know, and, you know, she kind of thought about it. She said, Hey, let's, you know, she was able to, her company has a, had the, the um, headquarters in downtown Chicago. So she was able to talk to them and, um, and she was able to get transferred there. So once we figured that was going to work, then I said, okay, I called Northwestern and said, Hey, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'll be there whenever you tell me to, to be there. So that kind of evolved that way. And then the hardest part was telling Gable I was leaving. And I delayed that for as long as I could because I was afraid he was going to talk me into doing staying, you know. But I just knew I had to move on if I wanted to really explore this coaching thing and really get into it, which I did enjoy doing. Um, I had to break away, and I did. What did Gable say? He was surprised. He said, "Well, why don't you come to me sooner?" I said, "Damn, you were talking me out of it," and you know. And I didn't want, you know, I didn't want that risk. I just knew it was the right time to go. And, um, and we had, you know, it, it, it you know, look, looking back on it, it was a tough decision, but it was the best decision.
And being a Chicago suburb guy, that's kind of like a dream job. Well, yeah. I mean, I knew it's kind of funny. When I went to school at Iowa, we had more starters from Illinois on the Iowa team than Iowa did. So when we wrestled Illinois University down in Illinois, there was more Illinois guys on that our Iowa team um, at that time. Mm-hmm. It was it's kind of evolved out of that now, but that's how it was at that time. Um, they re- really recruited a lot of Illinois, little Illinois area people, and plus was a it's far enough away from home, but yet close enough so you can go back and forth. But um, yeah, it was it things kind of just work itself out. Did King Craft ever call you in high school? Yep. He recruited me. Um, I used to go to Northwestern all the time, wrestle for uh, and work out with those guys at, with the um, uh, Mayor Daly Youth Foundation. They had a club there and they uh, the club would train at Northwestern, I think, twice a week. They, they would train at different places in the Chicagoland area. Harper College, they would be out there a couple on Saturdays or something like that. So they had different locations. They would one they on Tuesdays, it'd be at Deerfield High School. So we would, I would bounce around. I said, this is great. This is in high school, especially I was able to get my hands on college guys and see, Hey, what's this all about? You know, to really measure yourself, you know, especially if you think you're pretty good in high school. Okay. Let's see what the college guys look like, you know, feel like, or the, and the guys even outside of, you know, who graduated already. And you got, 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 you know, you got a pretty good perspective of where you had to go, you know, and, um, and they had great Terry McCann was the coach and he's Olympic champion. He was a coach at the mayor daily club and great guy taught, taught a lot, you know, and he was an ex Iowa guy. So there was a certain comfort zone there too. Um, but still he's good coach, but we used to go to Northwestern and Northwestern was, like I said, we would go there and Ken was there all the time. And um, Mark Mastery was there a lot of that. Andre, uh, Andre Allen was there a lot. So I got to wrestle with a lot of these guys and learn a lot um, with those guys and just expose. And I still was in high school. So when I got to college, I felt pretty good about my development going into things, even though it was still Iowa and that's a, still a big hurdle. But I still felt I was pretty work ethic wise. I kind of knew what was going to happen, you know, how things are going to go. So I wasn't intimidated. At least I didn't think I was of going into that college atmosphere from that standpoint. I'm so glad you brought up the Mayor Daly Club because I've always heard about that. I never really knew how it was structured. So, yeah, it was like a youth youth deal or like a kind of like a freestyle club or. Well, it's it. it I tell you, it's one of the first. It was like New York AC, uh, but it was it's funded by Mayor Daly, mm-hmm. uh, the senior, um, and they had you know their people that I don't know how they pitched it, but. Um, we were, we, it, they were funded by the Mayor Daly Youth Foundation and, and they do the track and field. They did wrestling. They did a few, a few other things, but um, you know, so Terry McCann was a head coach there. Um, they had a few other coaches that were Olympians also. And um, you know, the word just got out. I, I, I can't even remember how I found out about it with Navy Pier. We, they used to work out on Navy Pier every Monday. You used to go down Navy Pier. It's not there anymore, but you just go down Navy Pier, and they you used to roll the mats out. You roll them out. Terry McCann would run practice, and it was a heck of a practice, and teach technique and all this kind of stuff. Then we'd roll mats back up, you know, and come back, you know, the following Monday, I think, or Tuesday. But, again, that was one of four, three to four different places we used to go. But it's the same thing. And they used to have great – they used to win the, youth, uh, the AAU Nationals all the time. 
you know, really? and, then when, and when the Federation took in charge, they used to win that too. So it was a, it was a pretty good organization. Now at this time, I'm going to throw a couple of names at you and I, I honestly don't know if they're involved, but was Bill Wick involved at all during this time? Oh, it's, yeah. Bill Wick. He was one of my favorite guys, man. Talking about a motivator. I re- he was unbelievable. I loved him. He was a great guy, great coach internationally. I mean, Bumgarner will swear by him. Uh, Gable will swear by him. I mean, he was the guru of 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 wrestling internationally stuff. But, but just a, a great guy. I mean, I remember one time. <laughs> I remember one time we were wrestling an exchange. We were wrestling the Canadian team, and it was it it was at um, Hersey High School. And I, and they asked it asked me I was either either I think I was a I might have just been a freshman in college or a senior in high school I can't remember but he asked me because uh, it was during the summer hey could you wrestle you know one forty nine I said no I'm up a weight I'm a thirty six pounder I'm not going to go up a weight you know well we need you to wrestle the forty nine pounder from Canada I said no I don't I want to if I'm going to wrestle I want to I don't want to wrestle up a weight I'm not comfortable with that so they. We hemmed and hawed, hemmed and hawed. And I, okay, I, they finally came back, and, and I wrestled 149. So Wick knew I was kind of nervous and nervous about that because I never wrestled up a weight. I didn't like it, but at the same time, I said, okay, you know. And Wick just got in my ear and said, hey, you're a racehorse. You're a racehorse. You're not a you're not a power horse. You're a racehorse. Just go out there and zip around, zip around, get the guy tired. And back then, it were nine minute matches. There were three, three, three. So I call that a man's match now, but, um, <laughs> but they were nine, they were nine minute matches and the guy I had was, he is a big 149 pounder. I'm going, Oh my God, I'm going to kill these guys. I'm going to kill B- Bill from talking me into this, but he kept motivating me. And in between rounds, he had about a 45 second break in between the three minute rounds. And he was in my ear. Hey, you're a racehorse. You're a racehorse, you know? <laughs> and I, and I'm, yeah, I'm racing around all right. And I'm just trying to hit and pick the guy as much as I could. I ended up winning the match, you know? And um, so I just, you know, he was just a, oh, he found a way to get motivate you, even though you're either the underdog or your favorite to still put, put your best foot forward. He yeah. was great. I really enjoyed him. He wow. really was a lot of fun. I did a, I recently did a, a documentary on Tony Davis of all people and you know the you know, Russell for Northern Iowa but his coach at Mount Carmel obviously the great Bill Wick and yep. every every time you bring up Bill Wick to any of those guys they just start smiling yeah oh yeah yeah I mean I have another story here's this another true story we were I was I was just finishing I just finished competing I'm done I retired so now I'm I'm going into the coaching aspect of it I wanted to get the international stuff so I got, I was picked to uh, coach, be the head coach of a team going down to, uh, 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 oh God, we're somewhere in Guatemala or somewhere in there. I can't remember. Panama, 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 it was called a Panama Open. And then uh, and it was during all that drug stuff and, mm-hmm. and it was crazy. But we were going down there and I had the team all picked out and the USA wrestling said, here's these guys going to meet you down there. Bill, I said, Bill's going to be my assistant. Bill Wick is going to be my assistant. I was the head coach and Bill brought us an interpreter with him who was a friend of his. And we go down there and all of a sudden we're, you know, everybody's um, um, arrived and stuff with counting heads. I said, we're missing 149 pounder. Where is he? Nobody knew. I said, 
I said, who? so we called us at wrestling. Say, hey, where is this guy? Blah, blah. He can't make it. He doesn't can't make the weight or whatever. So you gotta be kidding me. And we have a pretty good team, but the Cubans had a better team. We needed to have all 10 guys scoring points or whether we would lose this thing. So Bill says, Hey Tim, how much are you over? I said, Bill, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, we, we need, we need, we need to, uh, we need to, uh, we need to uh, uh, get this somebody in here at 49. So well, Bill says, you've been working out. You're in pretty good shape. I said, that's beside the point. You know, I'm, I'm the head coach, you know. So he's going back and forth. He's getting on my – I'm going like, uh, this, is the, I'm, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go – I know he – sure enough, he talked me into, into – I weighed in with my clothes on. I, so I weighed in. So all the other t- competitors know I was the coach. I was the head coach. But I weighed in at 149, and and I'm going like, oh, but it's, this could be ugly, you know, because I didn't like to wrestle up a weight, you know, at mm-hmm. all. So, again, Bill did the same old thing. He got me going, you know. I ended up, I ended up taking second. I got beat in the finals, but we won the we won the championships because we had a full team, you know. Without having a full team, we, the Cubans would have beat us. So I, I'm going like – and the trophy he had was like like 12 foot tall. You know, we had to literally take it apart to get it back home. I said, Bill, <laughs> you're taking it home. It's not ours. I don't want it. You know, but it was great. He loved it. It was, it was just, you know, every time you're around him, there's everything. There was always something positive happening. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a, uh, that's just a guy that, that, that guy alone could have his own documentary. The Bill. Oh Wicks yeah. Story. You bet. You bet. Yep. There's a lot, there's a lot there. And was you know, the, uh, was Fred Arkin, the Oak Park coach, was he at Iowa during this time or was this before this time? Yeah, he might have been there before, before. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not I, sure. It might not even be Fred. I think I'm, I'm I know one of the Oak Park coaches, though. Um, Oak Park River Forest. He was at Iowa. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's head coach there. Uh, uh, what's his name? Parker. Norm Parker. That's right. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was there before I was there. Um, he was there uh, probably in the uh, late 60s, late 60s, like, yeah, because my head coach at high school, Bill Fuller, was there um, in the in the late, early 60s. And I think Norm was after, just after that. Now, when you were and this is kind of going backwards, but when you were in high school, I always hear about this amazing team. Was it Leiden, like Chuck Farina? Like, what's the, yeah. What, yeah. What, Leiden, what was Leiden, that? That was back then. Yeah. Leiden had a they were. They were unbelievable. I mean, they 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 would win the state championships probably two or three years in a row. They were again. That was one school. I mean, we only had single single winners. You know, no no class to classifications back then. But Leiden was uh, yeah. They were always lights out. I mean, Waukegan was in the same boat. North Chicago, the Parker brothers at North Chicago. They were winning everything for a number of years too. Mm. But Leiden would- was traditionally very 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 strong. That's like when you've all coming up through, I know you always hear about this team and you know, it, it, it was, you just never really watched anything. I would see, you didn't know, but like rumor has it, it was like 90 kids on a team, like just super deep, super, you know, very competitive team. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, yeah. like I said, they had a lot of success and success breeds success, you know, and they, you know, they definitely did that. Yeah. Now when you get to Northwestern, you're there for eight years as an assistant, you take the job, and your first year, you guys get a trophy. I was looking at the team picture before this interview. Was Ed Giese one of your assistants? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was there. Yeah. Well, tell me yeah. about your he first year, your memories uh, going there and getting a trophy. 
Well, we, you know, I knew we'd come in. Tom Jarman, he, he's the one who brought me to Northwestern as assistant coach mm-hmm. and um, kind of showed me the roads. He, he showed me a lot. I thought I knew a lot, but he, he showed me a lot more. Um, and I'm fortunate, you know, to get get to be a uh, um, head coach there. And uh, we had a good good group of guys. We had um, Brad Traviola was on the team. Jack Griffin was on the team. We had a good team that um, most of the guys that Tom and I recruited. So mm-hmm. we brought them in. And Tom was able, when he left the year before, he was going to be the athletic director and, and, and head wrestling coach at a Division three program which he always loved doing. He loved it. I think that's where his heart was really in the division three programs. He loved that kind of stuff. He, when he, he left Northwestern to coach a D3 yes. program. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and be an athletic director at that school too. Okay. So it was a two, okay. it was a twofer. Um, and he did a great job, but, but yeah, my first year is just, you know, we knew we had a pretty good team, you know, um, and it's just a matter of, okay, got to manage these guys, keep them healthy, you know, and, and just get them ready to, for Big Tens and Nationals. And, uh, you know, and fortunately everything clicked. You know, I, it, we, people won the right matches and, you know, we got to, it was Nationals in, was in Maryland that year. And I remember the one match, the semifinal match, uh, uh, Jack Griffin was wrestling the, um, the Iowa State's 125 punter. And he was a big, strong kid, big, strong kid. And we kind of talked about what we wanted to do or what he would think about trying to do and stay out of and stuff. But one thing I knew about Jack, he's kind of a riverboat gambler, you know, <laughs> and he was out there, he's wrestling all of a sudden he hit this kid and I knew it. I saw coming. He hit him with a headlock and I, I said, it's too early. And in my mind, when he hit him with a headlock, he said, Oh, he's going to get rolled through this kid too big and strong. He's going to roll him through Jack hit him with a headlock and kept his hip flat. And was didn't get rolled through, kept him there, and ended up pinning him. This was in the semifinals. Right of the way, I said, "Okay, we're sitting pretty good." So now he's in the finals with Zeke, Zeke Jones. Yes. All right. And and uh, he uh, he and Zeke, I think Zeke. I don't know if they wrestled once before, and they, Zeke just beat him. Maybe it was in Midlands. I I'm trying. I could be wrong on that. I'm sure Jack will tell me. But all I know is Zeke was number one seed. Jack was you know two or three at the time. But Zeke had the pedigree, you know, Zeke was favored to win the thing, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so Jack goes out there and, 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 and there's a move that, there was a move that, I, that um, I would, Jack and I, I worked working with Jack and a lot of guys on the team. It's called a seatbelt series. Um, Chuck Yago used it all the time. He's a teammate of mine at Iowa. We were both team captains senior year, but he, Chuck uses what we call it a seatbelt um series um and uh i taught jack that the seatbelt series and jack would use it every once in a while you know and um so he's wrestling zeke it's a pretty good match all of a sudden he he, he gets in the seatbelt and he and he puts zeke on his back almost hasn't pinned almost has put put him on his back for five you know three takedown plus three and um it, you know zeke gets off his back but you know, it's a, it's still a tough match, and then, um, you know, Jack ends up winning the winning the the match and was a national champ. Um, but that was a health, heck of a heck of a, a match between those two. And then Brad Traviola wrestled the kid from Arizona State, uh, uh, St. John, lost a real close one point match. 
um, in the national finals. Uh, so, but everybody clicked. Everybody, guys, we had there. We had like six or seven qualifiers. You know, everybody contributed to get those team points. And before you know it, it's like all of a sudden I looked up. We end up being fourth. I think we could beat Nebraska by a point. And Tim Newman, Tim Newman was the head coach at that time, and he are we're pretty good friends. He says like he just shook his head and you know is that close of a final you know he won that fourth place too you know right 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 but, I mean to have know. an NCAA champion first year has got to be super memorable yeah it was it is anytime you have an NCAA champ I don't care if your first year hundredth year it's always memorable you know even having guys uh, being all Americans it's it's just a grueling it's grueling it's it's mm-hmm. something you know you got to have a little luck every once in a while but at the same time. You know, you're it's, you're earning it. That's for sure. It's not given to you. And once you were in the in the head coaching position for you know a decade, fifteen years, you know what was it like to recruit at Northwestern? Were you targeting like Illinois heavily, or were you looking at kind of across the nation? Because I know it's a little bit unique being an academic powerhouse, but also in the best conference for wrestling in the country. So what, what, yeah. what were your targets? Yeah, my target's always, I always loyal to Illinois. I wanted to keep the best Illinois kids in the state as I could. And then, but that limits, you know, that limits you at Northwestern. I mean, you, you can only recruit certain type of academic standard kids. And, and so we knew that. We knew we couldn't get everybody, you know, that we want against academics, but it's always going to be the, the key there. And we respected that and, and we went with that. So, but we, we want to go after the best Illinois kids that we could find that would fit their our would uh, uh, fit our parameter the parameters at Northwestern mm-hmm. and our and our athletic parameters that I wanted to fill. So we found those guys and did the best we could. Did we get them all? No, not you know. But we got a, got a quite a fair share. But we also go nationwide. We had to go to California. We had to go to Pennsylvania. I did a lot of recruiting out of Ohio. A lot mm-hmm. of St. Ed's kids, that area. Uh, I did a lot of that just because it was far enough away from home for them, but yet close enough. Just like when I was going to college, I, I was just far enough away, but yet close enough. And it wasn't that different in, um, you know, the feeling of the, it's still Midwest yeah. in a way. Yeah. So, you know, but we get where, wherever we had to go to get a good kid and that make, met our academics and our athletics um, uh, priorities we wouldn't go we do it you go after well, two kids that come to mind for me you know when i was coming at brandon Preeson was a straight killer i mean he read everybody i mean he was amazing and then you know at this time you also get ryan lang four times state champ from st ed's i mean that had to be i think ryan lang was before Preeson, but that had to be a pretty yeah. massive signing yeah i mean getting ryan from st ed's four timer i mean and we were already already dabbling in Ohio quite a bit by that time anyway. So we had a pretty good reputation, I think, um, recruiting out of Ohio and St. Ed's and stuff. And and Ryan came along and we fortunately were able to, you know, recruit him and he came to Northwestern and he did a lot of winning for us, I tell you. Um, he, was, he was probably, of all the athletes I had at Northwestern, he's probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen. Mm. Um, and it, which means a lot because Heck, you had we had a few other pretty good kids like Jake Herbert on that team and uh, Dustin Fox. Even though he was a heavyweight, he was a heck of an athlete. Uh, but Ryan was, when it comes to athletics, he was very good. Um, Preason, super kid, 
super kid. Worked this, worked hard. Yes sir, no sir, all the time. Um, just did a great job, you know. Um, you know, Jason Welsh was in that kind of group. Also, he's mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. You know, very talented, very talented. Yeah. So no, we were fortunate a- to get be around those kind of guys. And you mentioned Herbert. He's one of my favorite interviews ever. I love talking to that guy. And you know what a what a character and what a just incredibly talented wrestler. I mean, you were there through the Askren finals and then he, he redshirted a year. He was there for a long time with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he wrestled internationally for us too. I mean, made mm-hmm. Olympic team and stuff. No, he was, he's everything you wanted. You know, he's everything you wanted. Um, I, I, the only, it's kind of funny. He was a three times, he's a four time all American three time finalist, right? You want to see the only match he, let's see, he lost Askren. His sophomore year, um, and then he lost to, oh man, who's the kid from Stanford? He lost to in the in his his freshman year, um, and he up he ended up taking third that year. But whatever, it was you know he was he was. Did he know, ever lose he, to Mark Perry, or did he beat Mark Perry every time? Uh he went up that, that one would, year. Remember that? Yeah, he beat he beat Perry, he beat Perry. Yeah, that yep. was a bracket. Yeah, that was a hell of a bracket. Yep. That yep. year, uh, Perry was up a weight. Oh my lord! Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. Actually, Perry, Perry was he helped us win our, the second fourth place trophy we got when it was in um, uh, in Detroit that year. Um, Perry 07. beat. Yeah, Perry beat. Perry was in the finals with the Oki State kid. Never beat him. Perry would always get beat by him. And i I looked at I looked at uh, one of our coaches. And I said, "Hey, we were fifth by like." you know, a couple points and, uh, our, no, we were ahead. We were ahead by, we were ahead. We were fourth place by about a point or two. Um, and I figured out, you know, you know, I looked at one of the coaches said, well, Hey, fifth, not bad. You know, knowing that Perry and the Oki state kid were going to wrestle in the finals and Perry never beat him before, never beat him. You know, what's his name from Oki state? I'm trying Johnny to Hendricks. Yes. All and Hendricks always beat him and beat him easy every time. You know, or at least my perspective. Mm-hmm. So I said, that fifth, fifth place, not bad. You know, we'll give. And I think Oki State, they had to win that match to hold on to a, a, the trophy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, but I, you know, the odds are we're not going to win this thing. Or we, you know, Perry's going to get beat again. Sure enough, Perry's wrestling. wrestling a heck of a match, heck of a match. Now he's riding him. I'm going, holy smokes, he's going to get riding time. Maybe, you know, this is, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get too crazy. So, you know, sure enough, things work out. Perry rides him out, does whatever. We end up, he ends up winning. We end up taking fourth. Okie State was fifth or sixth that year, you know. So I'm going like, okay, great. We'll take it. You know, we won it by like a half a point team, you know, for fourth place. And that was a lot of fun. I think it's just so important to focus on because getting a team trophy is incredibly hard. And, you know, one of my idols, Mark Johnson, he was at Illinois for a long time. They never got the trophy. And to this day, those guys talk about that. Like the year they won the Big Tens, that hurts all those guys. So, you know, at Northwestern, you know, another obviously Illinois D1 program for you to get that trophy twice is just just amazing to see that. And uh, I'm sure you and Mark Johnson had some good, good duels over the years. Now, Mark and I are pretty good friends. He was he was out in Iowa when I was still. Um, just about the same time I was out there, you know, he was one of the coaches on the staff then too. I left already, but, you know, Mark and I have known each other for a long time. And, 
yeah, it's it was fun. I, I keep telling myself, well, would I like to win the Big Ten Championship trophy or uh, NCAA trophy? And then you try to think, well, both. I said, well, of course, both. You want them both. But which one do you want? I mean, that is a harder? good question. Which one do you trade? Yeah, that's a, that is a good question. Um, which one's harder? Which one's harder to win? The Big Ten? Now, at that time, and still, I think the Big Ten trophy, it's getting tougher and tougher to, re, to win it every year or again, you know, it's, you know, it, and NCAs, you know, you, Hey, you have five good guys. You can win the thing, you know, mm-hmm. if everything falls into place. NCAA, and I, big... I really think back then too, no one was really like forfeiting out guys. Like now, you know, Penn state might even concede a big 10 title. They would never say that, but it's pretty obvious that they don't really care that much about winning that as much as they do the nationals. Right. I don't think anyone was like forfeiting guys out back then. No, no, I think we all, I mean, I think, I know in my situation, I always wanted to do the best in both, both, but, you know, it's like anything else. Ideally, you know, I, I look, and it goes back to something else that we'll probably bring up, you know, I, I look at triple crown of wrestling as Midlands winning the Midlands championship, you know, either in either individual or the team or both, your conference championship and the NCAs. Mm-hmm. Those are like the triple crown. If I had to have a crown and have three things in there, I want to know, be known I won that, that, and that, either as an individual, as a coach. Yeah. You know, that to me is the ultimate. That would be the coolest, you know. And to your point, five-time Midlands champ yourself. And, you know, I again, I can't just say enough about how much the Midlands impacted me and how fun it was to go and just – I'll never forget it. I mean, Joe Williams won eight eight times, and I think he I was there that year, and so it's just so much fun going with my mom and and you know watching those tournaments. You've been the tournament director for you know upwards of twenty years. What does that role entail? Oh boy, I tell you, it's uh, I'm working on it twenty. It's like right now I'm working on it every day, something you mm-hmm. know. And I have a I have a group of guys that help. We sit down and and work on it. Um, we, we, we try to meet every month and just go on, go through what we need to finish, get done and that kind of stuff. They've been helping me doing that for uh, forever. You know, um, Jack Lease is the, you know, he's the old man of the sea of that. He's been great. He worked with Ken Kraft on that. He's, he's still working with us on it. Jim Cartwright um, is one of the guys that would work with us on that. Also uh, Fred Arkin, you know, um, he's been, helpful very helpful we got brad Traviola. i got now on on helping me out so it's and and there's a lot of other people in, in, involved it's all volunteer it's all volunteer mm-hmm. you know so it's it's a matter of you know just you know getting delegating as best you can and you know and, and that's one thing i i like to be hands-on so it's just a matter of letting loose every once in a while and say okay you guys gotta handle it i don't have time to do it but you know it's a good tournament. Ken's did ten did a great job. You know, uh, it, it's the, he really he, he really you know I he he kind of showed me the way to how to, how he ran the tournament, and I, whether I knew I was going to be involved in it down the road or not, it's something I it just kind of evolved into. And I said, okay, I'm going to be the guy that's going to run it and, and improve on it. And, try to, you know, that's one thing Ken did a nice job of all the time is trying to do something different every year. We had, we used to, Ken used to have different rules from the Midlands, you know, not crazy ones, but something a little different. You know, I remember one time 
he had he had a rule for Midlands. Okay, whoever got to the uh, 15 points first won. won. You know, so it's not like the you know it's not like, like a what, tech what, fall, what other rules did he have? Do you remember? What's that? Well, what like, for rules? example, yeah, that, that rule, one. that rule. Okay, for example, that rule. Let's say you're wrestling and it's it's uh, 14. Let's say it's uh, 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 10 to 10 to 13. Whatever. All of a sudden, I get a takedown. I get the 15 points. I win. Match is over. It's 15 points. You know, you get in a flurry. All of a sudden, you come out of it. I got my 15th point. You got 13. I win. You stop the match. That's it. You know, it's kind of weird. You know, motion matches didn't have that happen. But every once in a while, you know, it, 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 a kid, you know, you win and it's over with. You know, um, well, he, you know, he, he did some other stuff with with uh, um, with uh, uh, way uh, not way ins with riding time. He gave extra points for riding time. Uh, then the NSA stepped in and said, "Hey, listen, you guys got to can't do that anymore." So we had to do go back to you know whatever the NCA rules were and, and, and stay with that, which is fine. I, I we don't have a problem with that. But, Did they always but, allow uh, open wrestlers to compete in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, always we, the the coolest part yeah. about it, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was always like when I wrestled in it out of college. Um, that was reasonable. I it helped me keep training because. The only thing we had to do internationally was Tbilisi, and that was until January, February, mm-hmm. and or Cerro Palato, which was in I think February. So, but nowadays they have so much more uh, international events they can go to. They don't need, they don't have to, you don't necessarily have to use Midlands as a training tournament to keep yourself in competitive in the competitive end of it. You know, yeah. Um, and it's a different style. It really is. I mean, I remember who was it. Um, Oh, he was from Penn State. He wrestled in he wrestled uh, uh, in, in the Midlands, and he won it. But he was struggling big time because the shape was different. You know, you got to get out. You know, you know all. That oh, David Taylor, was, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Now you say he that. Won, yeah, he, he he won it. He won, but his you know his final match or two, he struggled a little bit, just because you could tell he getting it's a different type of discipline. You know, freestyle. Work your takedowns, but you don't have to be tough on. You don't have to worry about getting escapes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or getting rid or getting ridden out or stuff. So it's, a, it's a, even though you have the background, but if you're not training for that, it's a different. It's a whole different ball game. Yeah, no, it really is, and it's it, it's just a cool element of it. And you know, as we wind down here, last question for you, coaches. You know, a lot of times we'll ask people at the end of this podcast, "How did wrestling change your life?" But for you, I'd just like to know, like, why why is the Midlands such a special tournament for you, and, and like hold it so close to your heart? Well, I think the people I I work with, uh, you know, and the, the longevity of it, it's it's fifty nine, fifty eight years we had we had it, the, and then and just the the history behind it uh, is unbelievable. The who's who in wrestling is, have won the tournament. There's been people who were Olympic champs or or, or Olympic medalists never won the tournament, you know, and it's always been run very well. And very well respected, not just in the United States, but worldwide, internationally. Um, it's a special, it's a real special tournament. I've been fortunate to win it a few times, um, and it's it's we just want to keep it at the highest quality as it is all the time. And what are the dates for this year coming up? This is 29th, 30th, and we're going to have a women's division this year. That's going to be very exciting. Uh, that's going to be held on the 30th. Um, 
So we have some great teams, typical, you know, Midlands teams will be there. We'll have some clubs there. They'll be, you know, have some open term, open guys there. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be at the now arena, um, out in uh, Hoffman Estates, December 29th, 30th, uh, you can get uh, tickets at uh, Ticketmaster or you can go uh, to nowarena.com and, and order that way. Love it. I think it's awesome. There's a women's division that's needed at every every big tournament, in my opinion. I think it's just uh, such a such a boost for wrestling to have that. So I think that's great. And uh, I know what, we'll be there uh, one or both of the days and you know, just can't right. wait. And just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast, Coach. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, call me anytime. Yes, sir. I will. I appreciate that. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Tim Soseski. This episode was presented by Beat the Street Chicago, our favorite nonprofit. Go to btschicago.org slash donate to support Beat the Street Chicago. This episode was also brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Download the Quant app now in the Google and Apple Play stores. Q-U-A-N-T Wrestling. Quant Wrestling. Download it now. And that's it for Wrestling Changed My Life. We'll see you next week.